0: About 10 or 11 years ago, we did a pretty extensive kitchen renovation. Anybody ever lived through one of those? And I mean, it was the whole deal. Like we took out a wall, made it bigger, put a beam up where the wall was because it was a support wall, uh, ripped up flooring, put in a new sink, refinished the cabinets. I mean, the whole deal. And Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, and live to tell about it. And I'll never forget one morning, kind of just in the middle of the demolition, our oldest son, Morgan, who was probably seven or eight years old at the time, he came downstairs uh, to to get ready for school that morning. And, I mean, you know, there was sheetrock ripped off, exposed studs. We didn't have floor in the new section, you know, cabinet doors off the cabinets. And he looked at me, and I just the way he said it was so funny. He said, Daddy... I just don't know how it will ever look good again. <laughs> like, you know, if you're a kid and you see a construction project, you're like, how are they going to fix this? And I'll bet that sometimes in the middle of your demolished life, when it's been a little bit torn up and the edges have been a little frayed and life has gone wrong. There have probably been some times you stood before God and said, Daddy, Father, I just don't know how it will ever look good again. Joseph is someone who could have certainly stood before God and said, Father, I just don't know how you are ever going to take the broken pieces of my life, how the, are you ever gonna take the torn up mess that I'm in and ever make this look good again? Hey, my name is Carter McInnis and I'm lead pastor here at Mount Top and I'm really honored that you are here today to help us finish up this series called When Life Goes Wrong, where we are studying the life of a character named Joseph in the book of Genesis, and today we're going to close out this series by going through about ten chapters in one message, all right? So buckle up and hold on because the last ten chapters kind of just have the pieces of, of this final piece of the story about when life goes wrong. Joseph was a favored son of his father Jacob who was given this amazing coat of many colors. That's kind of one of the things he is most famous for. If you have ever heard his name, you're kind of new to church or new to faith, you've probably heard of this coat of many many colors. That's what he was known for. He had a dream. In fact, it was a calling from God that he would be in leadership even over his own family, but his oldest 10 brothers, he was the 11th of 12 brothers, and his oldest 10 brothers hated him for it and out of jealousy sold him into slavery. Not long after that, his, as he was sold again into slavery, he ended up rising in the ranks in his master's house, but his master's wife betrayed him, lied about him, and had him wrongfully thrown into prison. And while he was wrongfully imprisoned, he thought he had a path out by serving one of the king's servants, but he became forgotten. And from the the time he had this dream and told his family about what God was calling him to be, this leadership that his brothers and his family would even come and bow down before him, to the time that we pick up the story today, forgotten prisoner, who finally gets called before Pharaoh, it has been 13 years. Genesis says that he's 17 when he has this dream and when he's sold into slavery, and he's 30 years old when he comes before Pharaoh. And when I think about Joseph's character through these 13 years, I can't help but ask myself a question. Does my faith have an expiration date? Does your faith have an expiration date? When I look at what Joseph went through and how his life went wrong and wrong and wrong again, and I have I have said in this series, it just kept getting wronger. It just kept going from bad to worse. I, I ask myself this question. Is there an amount of time where if I don't get what I want, or things don't work out the way that I think they should work out, or if my prayer isn't answered in the time frame that I think it should be answered in, is there a time for me personally that I would just go, you know what, I'm done with you, God? Does my faith have an expiration date? Could I wait 13 years for just an opportunity that God might answer? my prayer. Could you wait 13 years? What if we have to wait 13 years for an opportunity? And that's what Joseph got, an opportunity. He's before Pharaoh for a purpose, to help interpret a dream. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the most powerful country in the world at the time and that the world had ever known, he's he's had a dream. Pharaoh has these two crazy dreams. One, he has these fat, healthy, healthy cows, and they are eaten by these skinny, sickly-looking cows. And he's like, "What? Well, what does that mean? And then he has another dream where he has these seven healthy heads of grain, and they're eaten up by these kind of uh, dry and and sickly, other-looking heads of grain that are, that are uh, basically look like they're about to die, and they eat these, and he's like, did I have a bad burrito? What is up with this dream? What's going on? He asks his wise men. They can't come up with anything. He, he has like these court magicians. They don't have an answer. But he hears, he hears that Joseph has interpreted the dreams of two of his servants that he threw into prison a couple of years ago. And as we know, Joseph has a history with dreams. And he comes before Pharaoh who says, hey, hey, let me tell you these dreams, what do you say? Can you interpret it? And this is what Joseph said when he finally, 13 years later, has an opportunity to stand before the king, an opportunity to get out of this mess, to get out of slavery, to get out of prison. He says, I cannot do it, nope. Not me, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. When life goes wrong, listen, lean into this a little bit. When life goes wrong, but God is one of the most important phrases you need to remember. When life goes wrong... When things seem upside down, but God. When a relationship goes sideways, but God. When life doesn't look like it will ever be good again, but God. When I cannot, but God can. But God. Joseph said, not me, but God. So Joseph gives an interpretation that isn't exactly good news for Pharaoh. He says, "Um, here's what the dream means. The seven healthy heads of grain and the seven fat cows, they represent the same thing. There's seven years of abundance and blessing. And the weather's going to be great, and there's going to be plenty of rain, and the harvest is going to be bountiful and plentiful. But after these seven years of abundance, they're going to be followed by seven years of famine and there's going to be drought, and there's going to, not going to be able to grow anything, and everything, that, everything that, that was great the first seven years is going to be eaten up and swallowed up by the next seven years. So it would be wise not just to live and let live those first seven years. It would be wise to take those seven years of abundance and ration them and store up as much as you can so that you can survive Those following seven years. And after after Pharaoh hears this, I mean what comes next is stunning. Pharaoh teaches us something about leadership. Most leaders don't like bad news. How many of you have ever gone into your boss and said boss I got some bad news and they were like can't wait. Come on. Right, how many of you, if you are the boss, love it when someone comes in and says, I got some bad news? How many of you love it when your kid calls you and says, Mom, I got some bad news? Leaders don't like bad news. But here's what Pharaoh teaches us, is that bad news can be good news if it's true, because I can respond to the truth. I I can respond, I can figure out, and he, so this is a great leadership question for all of us that Pharaoh answers, that's important for every one of us because even if we don't lead an organization or even if we don't lead a family or even if we don't lead a business, we all lead ourselves. And this is an important question that Pharaoh kind of answers for us. Will I favor the truth when the truth isn't favorable for me? This is bad news. But will I favor the truth when the truth isn't favorable for me? Pharaoh has asked Joseph, for an answer, and Joseph has given him a word from God, and this is an important question, will I listen to the word from God even when I don't like the word from God? Will I listen to God's word, the truth, even when I don't like what it says? This is a really important question that Pharaoh answers. He could have said, forget that, like that sounds terrible, that's a... You don't know what you're talking about. Get this Hebrew out of my presence. Instead, what he does is it is unthinkable what comes next. Listen to what it says in, uh, in the next few verses. The plan that Joseph laid out seemed favorable, seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, listen, he's got his whole cabinet, all right? He's got his military commander, you know, he's got his, you know, director of foreign affairs. He's got the secretary of agriculture there. He's got his whole cabinet, all his officials. And he says, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God. Can we find anyone? Is there anybody in Egypt, anybody in leadership here that's like this guy? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Pharaoh looks at a prisoner and says, you have something that no one else has. You. And Joseph's like, you talking to me? (laughs) Yeah, you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh goes to the bottom of the org chart and does what's right for the nation. And if you're in leadership over any kind of organization, don't miss this. He goes to the bottom of the org chart to do what is right for his organization. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Joseph is no longer the hated brother, no longer a slave, no longer a forgotten prisoner. All of a sudden, he's vice president of the most powerful empire that the world has ever known. And his boss has put him virtually in charge of everything. And we're like, that's a great story. It only took 13 years. I mean like if you feel like God's calling you to do something right now today, like, is it okay if it doesn't come into fruition until 2035? Let me just put a number in your head there. That's 13 years. It only took 13 years for this call to leadership, for this dream to be in charge. It only took 13 years. But guess what? God was just getting started with Joseph. Joseph now in this position of prominence marries and has children. Egypt flourishes and stores up all kinds of grain and food during these seven years of abundance which were just as Joseph had predicted. And then sure enough after seven years the world goes into a famine. And the world cries out for answers. Where do we go? What do we do? And of course when people feel the pinch around the globe, Where's the one place that has food? Egypt. And so the world begins coming to Egypt. And the writer of Genesis records something astonishing in Genesis 41, 57. And we're in chapter 41 now. We're, we're going to be going all the way through chapter 50. So if you got your Bibles and you, you want to stay but we're going to bounce through these pretty quick. He, re- he records something astonishing in Genesis 41, 57. This is what he says. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Who came to Egypt? All the world. And I cannot read this without thinking about a promise that God made to Joseph's 75 year old childless great grandfather Abraham hundreds of years before. Hundreds of years before. This moment, this very moment where the whole world comes to Egypt. Listen to what God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I will make you, this we told 75-year-old childless Abraham, great-grandfather of Joseph, I will make you into a great nation. Yeah, God, a nation, I don't even have a baby. Don't worry about that. God, I'm 75. I got this. Be quiet, Abraham. I'm talking. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. How in the world am I going to be a blessing? Just listen. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Egypt blessed. Abraham's family and Egypt was blessed because they blessed Abraham's family and all the world was saved through Abraham's family. All peoples were blessed. And man, I just can't help but think about that question I asked earlier when I think about the context. I mean, this blows my mind. This promise of God coming into fruition hundreds of years later. Does my faith have an expiration date? because it doesn't seem like God's promises do. I mean, this part of the story isn't even about Joseph. It's not about Jacob. This part of the story is about Abraham. This is about a fulfillment of God's promise through Abraham, and Abraham's dead. Does your faith have an expiration date? Listen, listen. Does it count for you? Are you okay if God's promises to you aren't fulfilled until after you're dead? Or are you like, no, 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 I gotta see it. You have no idea what God's doing and wants to do in your life. Are you okay? If God's promises to you aren't fulfilled until after you're dead, hey, guess what? That's what it means to leave a legacy. A legacy. And everyone, everywhere, knows the name Abraham because his name was great. And now all of Egypt and all the world was saved through his family. Well, If the whole world comes to Egypt, guess who that includes? That includes his family, Joseph's family. Jacob, Joseph's father, finally begins to fill the pinch where they are of this famine. It's over the whole world. And he sends the 10 older brothers, the 10 brothers who sold Joseph into slavery. He keeps Joseph's baby brother, his his. his whole brother uh, there together with him in Canaan, but he sends the two oldest brothers to Egypt. And as they, man, like you're reading this part of the story, if they get ready to, to make their way to stand before this vice president, the, this governor of Egypt, it is like you can almost hear the dramatic music when you're reading it. Genesis 42, six. Listen, don't you think the Bible should have sound effects? (laughs) Like, but you're reading it and you're like, I mean, you feel it. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So if you wanted grain, you had to come to Joseph, wherever you came from. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces, to the ground. Can anybody do the math of how long it's been since Joseph had his dream? It's been over 20 years. Thirteen years when he went before Pharaoh, and then they had seven years of abundance. It's been over 20 years since he had a dream that his brothers would one day bow down before him. But frankly, Ever since Joseph had that dream, his life pretty much had gone all wrong. I mean, sure, for the last seven years, he had been free and he had finally had his own family. But the hurt, the pain of his family history lingered. So listen to Joseph's response. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. You can, can you even imagine the emotions going on in Joseph's heart? Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you're spies. You have come to see where this land is unprotected. Hey, listen, he is taken aback. This seems absolutely impossible. I mean, they don't recognize him because it's been 20 plus years and it's he is, he is now an Egyptian. It's, they're probably trying to forget what his face looked like. Most Hebrews would have had a long beard and long hair and Jewish clothes. Egyptians would have had a clean-shaven face, probably a clean-shaven bald head. Egyptian monarchs and leaders wore makeup. I mean, he's walk, he walks in, he looks like, you know, King Tut or something when they walk in. He doesn't look like one of them. And it's not like there's a picture of Joseph on the mantle back home, right? And trust me, because sometimes you read part of the story and you're like, how do they not recognize that? they were not on their way to Egypt having a conversation but like, hey, guys, wouldn't it be something? (laughs) Wouldn't it be something if the brother that we sold into slavery is now in command of Egypt and he's the guy? That'd be a kicker, wouldn't it, guys? I mean, come on. This is totally out of context. They have absolutely no idea and no reason to believe that this would be him. So here's what Joseph does. He almost doesn't know what to do. He needs time to think. He takes them into custody for three days. He's just kind of processing that. And he, he finally brings them out, and he says, here's what I'm going to do. You're going to leave one of you in custody with me. This is kind of like collateral. And the only way, because he's asked them questions about their family. He says, the only way you get him back is, you said you have a younger brother, and You have to go back to your land and bring your younger brother to me. Now, they don't know what's going on. They they don't know what he's, but he's thinking, I want to see if you have completely wiped out my family line. Benjamin was the only brother that was his full brother. And so they're just thinking, dad's never going to go for this. This has gone terrible. And they start talking back and forth in Hebrew to one another and they have no idea of course that he can understand that. And they they begin talking and they they they're saying like guys, you know why this is happening? We're under a curse because of what we did to our brother Joseph and Reuben is like, "Hey, could I just remind you that I did not want to kill him and I did not want to sell him to slavery, so you can take your curse with you nine, right?" I mean, so they're just going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and they don't and they don't know. So in this moment This is when the emotion begins to well up in Joseph, when he can understand them, but they they don't know that he can hear what they're saying. And it says this, he turned away from them and began to weep. And this is such an important lesson when it comes to life going wrong. It's something in the story that I don't want us to miss. Past pain persists. Past pain persists. Persist. When life goes wrong, the pain persists somehow because we've watched too many Hollywood endings that we want to believe that we'll be able to resolve our past hurt into our future hopes. And it's just not the way it works. Past pain persists even 20 years later. And I know some of you sometimes feel like, gosh, I... I've got this pain from a divorce, from the loss of a loved one, from this ugly relationship, from this, this past thing that happened to me. I was wounded. And here's just what I want to tell you. Just because you got through it doesn't mean you'll get over it. Joseph got through it. But 20 years later, he's not over it. And that's it's okay. When life goes wrong, sometimes it will always feel wrong. So they go back to their dad, and they tell him the whole story. And what's an interesting part of the story, lovingly, Joseph has secretly, while they were in those three days of custody, he's put their money back in their bags, and he's filled them with grain. So he's trying to bless them. They get back, they tell their dad the whole story, and he's like, no way am I sending Benjamin. All right, no way am I sending my baby boy. I have already lost one son, Joseph. I have probably now lost Simeon, because there's a good chance we are never, ever going to see him again, and there is no way I'm going to send him. They're like, we'll get it, we we'll get it. So they just kind of go on with life, but sooner or later, the grain runs out. And they're not producing anything where they are because this famine, this drought, this whole kind of thing going on through the earth continues to affect them. And he's like, hey guys, you got to go back to Egypt and get, uh, get some more grain. And they're like, dad, you don't understand. If we go back before this Egyptian governor and we don't have our baby brother with him, it's going to be bad news. He, he might take us all into custody. You might never see us all again. You don't understand this guy. Listen, he's in charge and Jacob says, fine, take your brother. And so these nine brothers gather their baby brother, Benjamin, and they head back to Egypt. And oh, wow, when they get ready to come before Joseph, it's a powerful moment. He sees Benjamin, his baby brother. And it says this in verse chapter 43, deeply moved, At the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. And he went into his private room and wept there. Because past pain persists. Finally, Joseph gathers himself. The writer of Genesis says he splashes some water on his face. He gets them together and he he. He decides, well, let's gather for a meal. He gets, a, he gets all the servants to make a great meal for him and for all of them, and he gives like double portions to Benjamin, and they're like, what's up with that? Um, and they don't know what's going on, and he actually devises this plan. He actually devises this plan of how he is going to make it look like, like Benjamin has stolen something and therefore they have to go back and they're going to keep Benjamin in custody because he just wants to send them back and he just kind of wants to go on with life with just his little brother, you know, the, the one good guy in the group. And their brothers are like, you don't understand. It'll break our father's heart if you do this. This is his youngest son. It'll just kill him if you do this. And finally, Joseph decides, enough is enough. And it says this, then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, And he cried out, they're in the middle of the meal. Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, could you just imagine this moment 20 plus years? I am Joseph. And they said, what did you say? is my father still living? You're talking about your father's dad still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him because their jaw was on the floor. They were terrified in his presence, the writer of Genesis says. And, but Joseph quickly quells their fears. And he says, no, listen, he hugs them, he kisses them, and he tells them that God has used this God has used this. He's found purpose in Egypt to save the world, including them. In fact, Joseph says, if I don't somehow end up in Egypt, then I never end up being able to interpret this dream, and I never end up being able to help Egypt save all this food. And not only do do you, my family, dies, but the whole world probably dies. And he has perspective. And, you know, Joseph, in his position, he could have had them executed, but we would remember his story much differently He could have had them thrown in prison, but we would have remembered his story much differently. You have a choice how you're going to treat people who hurt you and disappointed you. You can become bitter, you can become angry, and you can seek revenge. But here's what Joseph teaches us. You don't have to hurt people who hurt you. Some of you have been hurt by an ex, a child, Business partner, parent. You don't have to hurt people who hurt you. So Jacob, Joseph chooses love. They go back, get their dad, bring him to Egypt. Pharaoh hears about this and he's like, I want to meet Joseph's father. And he brings them together and he's like, Listen, I want to take care of you while they're here. And he actually says, You can have this little plot of land. And I, we're just so grateful for Joseph. And it feels like this, the story is just going to end just right there. And there's this, this happy ending. But there's one more little twist to the story Jacob dies while they're in Egypt, finally of old age. And his brothers are terrified. Because they're like, the only reason that he was so good to us is because daddy's still alive. But boys, we're in trouble now. Daddy's dead. So they fabricate this story. They make up this whole bit, and they come before Joseph, and they're like, hey, you know, sorry you couldn't be there when dad took his last breath. You were doing, like, Egypt stuff. But right before he died, you know, he just... He said, boys, make sure and tell Joseph to forgive us, you know, and come on, Joe, I mean, don't you want to grant an old man's dying wish? And he's like, "As you don't understand. And what he says next is so theologically rich, so spiritually mature, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it is the whole point of this series when life Goes wrong. In Genesis 5020, he looks at his brothers and he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Some translations say what you meant for evil, God used for good. While you were devising a plan to hurt me and harm me, God was devising a plan to somehow use it for good, for a purpose that is bigger than something that none of us could imagine. And listen really closely to this. This doesn't mean that God causes bad things to happen to us. If you would have asked Joseph, he would have not said, oh yeah man, being in slavery in prison for 13 years was like the best. He would say it was, I wasted my 20s. I threw away 13 years of my life. But the stories don't have to reconcile because the truth is much powerful. God can bring his good from your bad. God can bring his good from your bad. See, what mattered most in the story wasn't nine or 10 wicked brothers, wasn't a deceitful uh, slave owner's wife who told a lie about Joseph, wasn't a fellow prisoner who forgot about him when he was supposed to tell Pharaoh about him. What mattered most was a wild card named Joseph who kept faith and integrity and character in trust when life went wrong again and again and again and again. And some of you have experienced or are experiencing life going wrong, but you have no idea what God wants to do in your life if you will just hold on during the mess. If you will just hold on, and brother or sister, it might take 13 years, it might take a lifetime, but I want to tell you something. We serve a God who can bring his good from your bad, no matter how bad it is. When I thought about closing out this series, I thought about another story about when life went wrong. It's a story that wrestles with the tension of a bad thing that's always a bad thing and always will be. And yet the beautiful things that God can do through our lives In the bad things. It's a story about God's faithfulness in the darkest night and how God is with us in the deepest valley. It's a story about understanding that God doesn't cause bad things to happen to us, but He can use those bad things to do something in us and through us if we will let Him. It's a story about my favorite person in the world my beloved, wonderful, incredible wife, Emily.
1: I'm Emily McInnis. I'm married to Carter, we have four sons. My mom was married to Kay Dease, and um, she was diagnosed with cancer in her 30s. I was probably 11 or 12 at the time. I remember, I remember different treatments, chemo, radiation, um, double mastectomy. um, Most of it is very fuzzy, but she passed away um, shortly after her 42nd birthday. I was 14. It was the hardest thing, most painful thing I've ever gone through. Um, But I'll say it's also, first time that I remember feeling God's presence um, and so I know that I know that that has a huge part of my faith um, because it was the first time he was really real to me. I remember crying myself to sleep most nights and just um, just asking God just to hold me and it was like I could feel his arms around me. Became really independent, and I know that's a lot of who I became um, was because of that experience. I wish I wouldn't have had to go through that, um, but there's so many things that sometimes I wonder. When I was eight, we moved back to my mom's hometown and actually into the house where she grew up, and my grandparents moved to a small home right behind us. And less than a year after my mom passed away, my grandfather passed away. And so my grandmother and I had a really unique relationship. I stayed with her a lot. And after I graduated from college, we went to visit an old family friend of hers, Carter's great aunt. Um, and I mean, I have no idea would that trip have taken place. I don't know. Um, so I know there's so many things in my life that would some of the same decisions have been made, I don't know. Um, and I'm thankful for where I am now and the family that that I have. You just never know what people's story is. And even when people seem to have it all together, um, there's often hurt heart that, that stays with us for a really long time. God's with you. And if you will just call out to Him and reach out to Him, He's there, Um, He hurts with you, Um, but He loves you. And just to remember that and remind yourself of that um, when it doesn't feel like He does or when it doesn't feel like um, anybody cares, um, just remind yourself of those truths because they are true.
0: Sometimes when life goes wrong, it will always feel wrong. The point isn't for us to look back at a bad thing and go, oh, that was actually a really good thing that happened to me. Sometimes a bad thing is just a bad thing. But would you lean in to the truth that God is with you in the bad things? He is working in the bad things even when life goes wrong because he's a God who takes what the enemy meant for evil and uses it for good. I don't know if you have something that you need to lay before God that you still got some pain from the past or it's a, it's a life went wrong thing. and what, I just want to invite you to stand and close this song It says that we're gonna see a victory because we serve a God who is gonna create a victory. One day, there will be no more tears and no more pain. One day, there will be no more death. One day, there will be no more wrong. We serve a God of resurrection. We serve a God who claims the victory. And would we just say, God, use my bad things to do whatever you want to do for good because you can and only you can. Would you stand and sing and you're welcome to come and kneel down and hand your bad thing to God.